Welcome to the FIFA Living Football Podcast with me, Reshmin Chowdhury. On the show this week, arguably the greatest German player of all time has just turned 60. Matthias against Mihailov. It's a goal! Germany take the lead. Lothar Matthias on his record equaling 21st appearance in a World Cup game. New Zealand footballing legend Kirsty Yallop discusses the upcoming FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023. It's a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence for all the players involved and for the public. It's just going to be awesome for them to get to see the world game and all its glory on our home soil. We also hear from FIFA president Gianni Infantino and head to Sierra Leone to discover how football has recovered during the pandemic. Plus, our special guest today is a FIFA World Cup winner who's played in Germany, England and Italy. Hello from me, Reshmin Chowdhury, and welcome along to the third episode of the Living Football Podcast. We'll be with you every two weeks, right up until the end of the year, to discuss all things FIFA. And my guest today is a former German international who certainly knew where the back of the net was. He played for his country 42 times, scoring 16 goals. He won three Bundesliga titles with two different clubs. He won the 1997 UEFA Champions League, scoring twice in the final. He was the joint top scorer in the 1992 UEFA European Championship. And he won the FIFA World Cup in 1990. A very warm welcome to Karl-Heinz Riedler. Thank you for joining us on the show, Karl-Heinz. Lovely to have you with us. And um, for once, well, we have a German, a former German international with us. We're starting this recording on time, which is uh, very new for us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Rashman, to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful to have you. Uh, look, you've had a career spanning 18 years, seven clubs, three different countries. I suppose from your point of view, football has given you so many, not just professional experiences, but different life experiences as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, football was my whole life. Uh, when I was uh, very young, I, start, I started very young to play football and uh, it gives a lot. I mean, I had the uh, yeah, opportunity to play in, uh, in different countries, to learn different uh, languages, to uh, to have the experience for, uh, living in Italy, in Rome. That was just uh, incredible. And even in England, I had so na- fantastic time in Liverpool and uh, London. So I'm very happy and I'm very pleased about it. No, absolutely. Look, I have to ask you about the 1990 FIFA World Cup triumph. You scored in that crucial semi-final penalty shootout win over England. I have to tell you, Karl-Heinz, that was the first time I watched football 1990. So you absolutely broke my heart. Okay. You made me cry. Great for you. <laughs> yeah, this was just an incredible game. I mean, it was level. Both teams played on the same uh, same level. And then it came to the shootout. And actually, there was a funny, uh, quite a funny story because I never shoot in a penalty before in my uh, whole career, in professional career. As no a, way. Yeah, it was my first one. And Franz Beckenbauer, he was uh, chasing for players because everybody would say, oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I cannot play. Uh, I cannot shoot. And so at the end, he was coming to me and I said, oh, Franz, I never. I never shoot one. Yeah, you can do this. I mean, you're a striker. So at the end of the day, I took the advantage. And yeah, it was quite easy. Peter Shilton, he was not reacting very quickly. (laughs) That's incredible. So you'd never done that professionally before. What was going through your mind then when you took that? Were you because... The pressure is immense in that situation. Yeah, I realized. I mean, uh, we have a lot of people in Germany that are watching now uh, a, a special game like this. And I was quite nervous on the on the way from the midline to uh, the penalty box. It was quite a, a long way. But at the end, I, I managed it quite good. Yeah, you did Sorry. manage it very well. <laughs> you know, obviously, here in England, we always joke about the, the rivalry with Germany. Do you guys have the same sort of jokes with England? Or is that just from our side? <laughs> 
because of all no, of that. Maybe it's more on, on your side than England, <laughs> but no. For us, it's a, a very prestigious game uh, to play against England because it's a massive nation uh, for, for playing football. And uh, so it's a big rivalry, but not more not less. You know that we're going to be hearing from one of your former teammates very shortly, the great Lothar Mateus, who's someone I remember so well just from that tournament. There were so many big figures. I remember Andres Brehm's hair, Jürgen Klinsmann, you know, all of these big, big characters. He's just now Lothar Mateus has just celebrated his 60th birthday. I've got to ask you, what was he like to play with? Yeah, even on this way, Lothar, happy birthday from my side. <laughs> and now Lothar is an incredible, he was an incredible player. I mean, he was uh, such an uh, idol for all the young players. He was always opened even in the, in the changing room when he had been a young player and you come to him and he, he was always positive. He, he lifted you always up and he was one of these guys. He's going in, in front when, when a game was on. So yeah, I think he was maybe, the, or not maybe, he was the best player I ever played with together. Wow, yeah, and a leader, as you say. Well, look, he played in his first FIFA World Cup in 1982, age just 21, but he really made his mark in the 1986 tournament where he helped West Germany reach the final. However, he almost didn't play in the showpiece due to an injury he picked up in the semi-final. The pain didn't matter. I forgot about it. It was the final. Diego Maradona was impressed after the final, not because of that, but he was so impressed he kept pestering his club, Napoli. You've got to sign him. You've got to get him. That's true. After the 86 World Cup, many Italian clubs approached me. AC Milan even came to Munich to negotiate. I had some great moments with Diego. It's a shame he had to go so early. I wanted to ask you, what did you think when he passed away? You're roughly the same age. Yes, we all knew Diego had some health issues, but we didn't know how bad they were. We didn't know in Germany, at least. The news affected me not because he was a similar age, but because he was a football genius and we had great times on and off the pitch. I had to sit down. I had to take a deep breath and reflect. A wave of sadness came over me. It was sad, but I accepted it. He lived life to the fullest. You gave Germany the world title in the same year as reunification. What did that mean for you and the country? I captained that team. I was elated and proud. It's enough to captain the team out on the pitch, but to also win a World Cup is special. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. It's happening right now. The whistles shrill around the Stadio Olimpico. And there it is. The final whistle, West Germany are world champions. It was an intense moment in my life. It was important for Germany. I'm very proud I won the trophy with that team and took it home from Italy, the country that adopted me. In Frankfurt, we celebrated with 200,000 to 400,000 fans. Let's move on to the semi-final against England. That was tough for you. You had to mark Paul Gascoigne. He has to mark me, as always. Either way, you're on a yellow card. As was Gascoigne. (laughs) It didn't matter for Gascoigne because we made it to the final. Pick up a yellow card and it's on your mind. You've had a great tournament, but you might not play in the final because of something that could happen in any game. Gascoigne and I were under that pressure. I don't think we were asked to mark each other. It just happened. It so happened that we had lots of 1v1s. We both used our strength and put up a fight. We were tough. We dug deep to get the ball. 
We had some hairy situations. It was a top-level fixture. It was the best game of that World Cup. Back and forth with tough tackles, many chances, shots hitting the woodwork. It had it all and at pace. The English were so fit at that time, but we knew no one would beat us on penalties then, especially England. Now, the second German penalty taken by their captain, Lothar Matthäus, who just drives it in past Peter Shilton. We had a bit of luck. It's not that we didn't deserve to win, but England were worthy opponents. When we look back at the final, the same question always arises. Why didn't Lothar shoot? A certain football boot played a part in that. One you lent Diego Maradona. In life, you have to make smart decisions. For me and for German football, that was an important decision. For me, I changed my boots at half-time. The bit where the stug goes in had broken. I had to change boots, but hadn't worn the new ones in. I took them out of the bag and played with new boots. Everyone knows new boots don't feel the same. All shoes have to be worn in. Football boots, high heels, even ski boots. You have to wear them in, and I hadn't with these, so I didn't feel good. It went to penalties and I said to Andy Bremer, Andy I've got new boots on, you take it. I didn't feel prepared to take the penalty. I didn't want the responsibility. I was unsure. We had other penalty takers. I wasn't the only one. I wasn't sure and I said Andy take it please. This is where Maradona's boot comes into it. He used the boot that broke in the World Cup game versus Argentina two years prior in Platini's farewell match in France. Two years before that, Maradona was in Trapattoni's team with me. We're lunch and he says I forgot my boots we were at the table I said Diego what size are you I had two pairs he said 40 41 I said I'm the same size borrow mine I gave him the shoes he returned them after the game he laced them differently straight not crossed they weren't laced tightly I thought okay I'll leave the laces if this is how Maradona plays so can you in the 1990 World Cup final I still had those boots laced that way our kit supplier was different. I only used those boots with the national team, not Inter. So I kept them for two more years. They were the same boots that Maradona used in Platini's farewell match in 1988. I used those boots in the 1990 World Cup final. You played in two further FIFA World Cups, 1994 and 1998. In 94, you went to the USA as reigning world champions. It was the FIFA World Cup in the USA. Why could a team that good not fulfil their expectations? Things didn't work out. It was every man for himself, not a team. We didn't tackle anything together. Players' wives were there and involved. Everything else became more important than the football. That's what was missing. In the quarterfinal versus Bulgaria, we were knocked out having been 1-0 up. And Lothar Mateus has the chance now to steer his team ahead. Mateus against Mihailo. They were a good team, but not a problem for us. We were reigning champions with great players, but we weren't a unit, so we couldn't defend the title. It was there for the taking. I'm still upset with everyone that was there that we didn't win our second consecutive World Cup. No one has played more games in the FIFA World Cup than you. No one. 
You played 25 games. Ich weiß, es sind 25 geworden und die Weltmeisterschaft 98. Yes, 25. The 98 World Cup gave me four extra games to reach 25, but that's not the most important thing. I'm proud to have played 25 World Cup games, topping the list, making World Cup history, but it wasn't about the number of games, it was about helping the team. It didn't work out, but the silver lining was that I still played enough games to hold the World Cup record. The next World Cup is Qatar 2022. 2026 will be Canada, Mexico and again the USA. How much of a dream would it be for you to win a World Cup as a manager too? It's a dream, but I don't dwell on it. I know what it is to be a manager. I've experienced it. You're responsible for everything under constant pressure, eyes on you. Would I do that to myself? Never say never. If there's lots of pressure from external sources because you can help, then I'd like to help, but I can't see my life changing now. It's going so well. I have time for my family, friends, son, myself. I sleep well. I don't wake up thinking of systems, formations, positions, opponents. I sleep well. The pressure is huge. Of course, never say never, but it doesn't seem likely. It's not something that I think about now, returning to the dugout at all. You never know. Franz Beckenbauer didn't want to in 84. Then, there he was. Franz is one of my idols. Man weiß nie. Franz Beckenbauer wollte es 1984 auch nicht und auf einmal war er da gesessen. Und Franz ist ja ein Vorbild für mich. I mean, look, if you go through his honours, I mean, they're extraordinary. The FIFA World Player of the Year in 1991, the first ever. He won the Ballon d'Or in 1990 as well. The UEFA European Championship in 1980, the FIFA World Cup in 1990, of course, the UEFA Cup twice, seven Bundesliga titles, Serie A as well. Look, the list goes on and on. Uh, Karl-Heinz Riedler, of course, is still with me. He's a legend, isn't he, in every single sense. When you look at that career, it spans four decades How do you explain his longevity? Because it takes something special to even be able to be around at that level for so long. Yeah, his career was incredible. I mean, uh, I think 150 caps for Germany. We have only one player, maybe uh, Franz Beckenbauer, he's on the same level like him. But Lothar was just uh, the, yeah, the man, maybe the best player ever in, in, in Germany. And uh, he keeps himself always uh, yeah, in, in training session. He was doing always 100%, but uh, he didn't get injured so much. So he was quite lucky about this one. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, if you look on the uh, four World Cups he played, uh, even the, the second one, I think, I remember very good the, the game against Diego Maradona when, when he mar had to mark him and he was very young in this age and uh, Maradona was the best player on the, on, on the planet. So it was an incredible game from, from his side, maybe his best in, in, in his whole career there. Yeah, that's amazing because um, what's interesting is that Diego Maradona did speak about Lothar Matthäus. Uh, this was during the FIFA World Cup in Italia 90 and he described Lothar as the best rival he's ever had. I mean, that's, I imagine there must be so much mutual respect. When you get two players of that calibre, they must just look at one another and just say, you know, yes, we're rivals, but you are amazing. No, I think they had a, a big rivalry, but uh, a lot of respect uh, to each other. Everybody knew that uh, Diego Maradona is the best player in the world from, from his skills, from his uh, whole ability to, to read football. But Lothar, he was one of the guys, he, he was working very hard in, in his whole career, even when he played for Borussia Mönchengladbach. When he grew up, he made always extra work in, uh, in training sessions. So, And uh, yeah. He was one, even one of these uh, guys, when, when you played uh, with him, he, he wanted always more from you. Even in training session, he was coming to you and said, listen, you have to work more and harder and harder. 
but uh, you could see this uh, result on on the pitch. His his determination in the game was just incredible. Yeah, and and how did he translate that as a leader? Was he that leader all the time in the dressing room, the one that everyone could turn to and the one that everyone could look up to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was this guy who's uh, even when we had down one nil, he was very loud in the in the changing room. And <laughs> he, he he got everything, all the best out of uh, all the players because he was going in in front of us, and uh, you know, he he never resigned in a game, so he hated to lose uh, even training sessions. So no, Lothar was an absolutely idol and uh, for all, all the players. Yeah. What was his leadership style? Was he quite a loud, as you say, he's loud, but was he loud and, and brash or was he kind of, did he have a, 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 a way that he could calm all the players and yeah, well, he, how did he, how did he manage it? It was quite ex- explosive. Oh. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he was loud in the changing room, but he was loud on the pitch as well. So uh, it was not. A... Would he get angry if, if oh, the team wasn't doing for ab- their job? Absolutely. When, <laughs> as I said before, he, he couldn't lose one game in training session. Yeah. So he was very angry. But he transmitted it uh, in in the real games then. So uh, you would never see a Lothar Matthias resigning in a game. It didn't exist this uh, for him. Yeah, it's amazing because all the top players really have that mentality. I mean, all, all competitive players have that mentality, but the really sort of the ones who have that longevity just have that extra. There's just something, isn't there? I mean, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino said that Lothar is not just a footballing legend. He is a world football icon, not just in Germany or Europe. He helped characterise football fans in the 80s and 90s. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Every young player in Germany knows Lothar Matthäus. Now he's doing actually a really good job for Sky Television and uh, he's like a commentator and expert. And there you could see how how good he is and how good he was in, in football. He reads the game like nobody else could read it in, uh, in the German history, maybe. And uh, yeah, every young kid is uh, really still know Lothar Matthäus because even with his age of 60, he's an, uh, he's an icon in Germany. Yeah, no, completely. And, and you know, what was your personal relationship with him like on and off the pitch? I mean, is he someone that you'd still be in touch with now? Yeah, yeah we see each other a lot of times in, in the year. Just we had an, uh, a World Cup together in, uh, in the Tuscany. This was before the COVID time. And uh, so, yeah, Lothar is like a father figure, I would say, for, for all the young players. If it happens something to organize, Lothar is the first one. He, organizes, <laughs> he wants to do everything by himself. But uh, no, he's a very, very humid uh, person. And uh, I think you will not find one uh, German national player there they're speaking badly about Lothar Matthäus. You know, when you get a leader like that, what is he like? when he relaxes then so you're you're in a tournament situation with someone like that he is the leader he is hungry for every single victory how does he relax and how does he do that around the team i never see him relaxing i think <laughs> he's always on your toes there <laughs> now he, if we had free time he was uh, i mean in in italy it was quite easy for him because he lived in uh, in como actually i think beautiful on, uh, while the world cup was on he he was uh, sometimes he was at home i don't know <laughs> but uh, yeah no, I mean, he was never, never very calm. So he was always on a hundred percent. Absolutely amazing. Well, look, we've just heard a quote there from Gianni Infantino on Lota Mateus. And the FIFA president has also been talking recently after the FIFA Council met last Friday to discuss, amongst other things, Arsene Wenger's idea about holding a FIFA World Cup every two years. The question that we have to ask ourselves today is the question of the international match calendar. We were asking ourselves this question already beforehand. Uh, With COVID, 
I think that this question comes again on the table with even more strengths. We need to find the right balance between club football and national team football, between top football and grassroots football all over the world. To do this, we need to take on board every idea, every suggestion, uh, Arsene Wenger's uh, proposals, as well as many, many others which are made, and we need to debate. FIFA, the new FIFA, is an open place, is an open house where we can discuss, without any taboo, every topic. Uh, nobody seems to be really happy with the current situation, but nobody wants to give anything as well to try to change it. Now, maybe we will not change anything, maybe we'll change everything. Who knows? What is important for the FIFA president, what is important for FIFA is to give everyone the floor, to unite everyone, to give everyone the opportunity to express their views, their opinions, and then to try at the end of the day to find uh, the appropriate balance uh, of what should be the future of football in terms of club competitions, in terms of national team competitions at global level in particular. So uh, a process uh, has just started. Uh, Arsene Wenger is obviously not only a manager but a real professor of, uh, of football. So he has definitely uh, something to say. We will speak to everyone and uh, we'll take on board every point of view and we will try to change things for the better, if it is possible. If everything is perfect as it is, then we'll come to that conclusion as well. Karl-Heinz Riedler is with me. It's such a tough time for everyone in football, isn't it, because of the pandemic? And as Infantino says, it's important that FIFA listens to all ideas about the future of the game and that the game will evolve around changing circumstances in the world as well. Yeah, absolutely. We are on a really critical point because this uh, pandemic uh, uh, affects us all in all over the world. It's a it's a really sad thing because we cannot let uh, fans in uh, in stadiums, and uh, you know this game lives from uh, from fans, from passion in the stadiums, and uh, so this is a uh, not an easy one. Hopefully, we can uh, get through about this uh, thing very quickly that all the fans can come back and. Uh, all these big tournaments, what we all love together to see and uh, to be part of it should be come soon. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, still to come, we'll be hearing from a 90 cap New Zealand legend and finding out about a huge boost to football in Sierra Leone. I'm Xavi. This is the Living Football Podcast. We're going to turn our attention now to African football and it's time to hear from Gianni Infantino again. The FIFA president has been speaking about his recent trip to Africa and was asked about his thoughts on the recent CAF presidential elections. Yes, indeed. I was, uh, I was in Africa, in, in Morocco, uh, in Rabat, where uh, the CAF Congress took place and a uh, new president, uh, uh, Mr. Patrice Motsepe, was elected to lead CAF, to lead African football in the next four years. So, of course, my first uh, message is a message of congratulations to uh, uh, Dr. Patrice Motsepe for, for this brilliant election. Now, it is clear as well that uh, African football has sent, I think, at that Congress a very strong message to the entire world, uh, which is a message of uh, unity, a message of uh, commitment, because uh, everyone uh, found himself or herself around a project, around a vision to boost African football. And I think that is uh, exactly the, the correct way of approaching things. African football has known 
Sadly, some issues, some problems in the past, it's time to turn the page, it's time to move ahead with passion, with commitment. And uh, uh, Dr. Motsepe and his entire team definitely have this passion and uh, this commitment. And as far as FIFA is concerned, the FIFA president and everyone here in, in, in FIFA, we are there to help, we are there to assist. We are there to play our part because what we want is to make football truly global. And if we want to make football truly global, Africa, with the talent, with the passion that there is in this continent, has to play a leading part in global football. So we are very happy uh, about uh, uh, the way that uh, we see the future in, in African football. And uh, together, I'm sure we will uh, uh, succeed. South Africa's Patrice Motsepe, there confirmed as the new president of the Confederation of African Football. Karl-Heinz Riedler, look, Africa has suffered setbacks in recent years with all five qualifiers for the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Russia eliminated after the first round. That was the worst showing in 36 years. Look, I always enjoy watching the African teams at the World Cup. There's just something different about them. It's so crucial, isn't it, for African football to just bounce back on the global stage now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully they, they will come back big time because I'm an admirer about the African football as well. They have so many really unbelievable talented players playing all over the world. So, uh, yeah, hopefully they come back as soon as possible. Yeah. yeah, we definitely hope so. Well, look, staying in Africa, since the start of the pandemic, FIFA has provided nations with funds from the COVID-19 relief plan. In Sierra Leone, the extra funding has had a huge impact on their football community. We're going to hear now from the youth coach Abu Sonka on how the funds have changed his life. But first, the president of the Sierra Leone Football Association, Isha Johansson, has been telling us how hard the country has been hit by the pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic has been an awful situation globally. Sierra Leone has been hit a second time as a result of a deadly virus. It's a poor country, it's a small country, so it's taken its toll on our country. But I have to say the Cerulean's have been quite brave, actually, and I don't know whether it's down to the fact of our experience with Ebola, but they've been very compliant, they've been very disciplined, they've adhered to the rules, and people are very mindful and cautious. When football stopped, you can't believe it. I was totally sick. I was sick at heart. Why? Because I used to train the children. I used to play football every day. In fact, I breathe football 24 hours. Every month, I receive my salary and go and pay my rent. Then all of a sudden, they announced to us that salary is going to stop because of COVID-19. I don't know exactly where to start. I don't know exactly what to do. The COVID relief fund by FIFA was just absolutely timely because there's only so much the FA could have done. And for so long, we would not have been able to sustain supporting the football family to the extent that FIFA has been able to do. So um, it has actually kept our family afloat. I found out when I was called by the Football Association, say, hey, FIFA COVID-19 relief phone is on the way. Believe me, when I had that news, I was overwhelmed because I know things are going to be good for us. As for my rentage, I make sure that I pay ahead. Why? I know that if I pay up front, automatically I'll live happily, I'll sleep sound, and of course my school going children are happy over everything. Why? Because at that particular time I was not able to pay the teacher that is going to teach them at home. But 
with the funds coming in now, we're talking now months of planning, we're talking about engagements and training, we're talking about being able to assist others. You know, we can only really thank FIFA. You know, and I have to add that um, this also resonates and it emphasizes what I believe and what President Infantino has always said about football. We are a family and we are a humanitarian organization. Football is what we're just seeing now with the COVID funds. It's a unifier, it's a healer, it reaches out to every creed, every religion. It doesn't discriminate. I want to say a big thank you to FIFA for this COVID-19 fund relief. We say God bless them all. Well, that was the youth coach, Abu Sonka. They're so enthusiastic. Great to listen to. And the president of the Sierra Leone Football Association, Isha Johansson, showing their gratitude for the FIFA COVID relief fund. And something she said there was so important that there was only so much that their own football association could have done during this pandemic to keep football alive. So the FIFA COVID relief plan, clearly so important in supporting these smaller nations who've been hit so hard by a global pandemic that no one saw coming. It's really a great movement from uh, FIFA. I mean, Gianni Infantino, he's uh, very open for these countries because uh, they really need uh, our help from the whole football community. We've been hidden by COVID, all maybe in Europe, but it's nothing like uh, how uh, the African uh, states are, are hidden by it. So uh, I think it's a very, very uh, good thing from the FIFA to help countries like uh, yeah, Sierra Leone and, and uh, even for others would be a, a very good plan there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we're going to turn our attention now to the women's game and what great shape it is in right now with the next FIFA Women's World Cup set to take place in Australia and New Zealand in 2023. We caught up with a former player who's sure to play a key role in the tournament, despite having recently hung up her boots. The former New Zealand midfielder Kirsty Yallop played 90 times for her country. She appeared in two FIFA Women's World Cups and two Olympic Games as well. Living Football's Jessica Liberts began by asking her about favourite FIFA Women's World Cup moments? Oh, I think that's such a tough question. I was lucky enough to get to go to the 2011 World Cup in Germany and the 2015 World Cup in Canada. And I honestly don't think I can narrow it down. I just loved being able to be there and compete against the other countries. Um, I would have liked to, that we would have gone a bit further in the tournament. But yeah, it was just both of them were such amazing experiences. And in 2023, the FIFA Women's World Cup will take place in your home country, New Zealand, and in Australia. I mean, we know it's still two years away, but are you already feeling some joyful anticipation? <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. I just think it's, <laughs> it's a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence, you know. Like, if only I was still playing, it would be super amazing. But, I mean, for all the um, girls and players involved, it's going to be great. And, and for the public, it's just going to be awesome for them to get to see you know, the world game and it's all its glory on our home soil. So, yeah, it'll be great. What do you think? How has the profile of football in New Zealand grown since you started playing the game? <laughs> wow, I think it's, yeah, it's grown a lot since I started playing. Um, when I was little, I was the only girl in um, an all-boys team and, and in the whole league. So, yeah, I didn't really play with many girls when I was little. Uh, nowadays in New Zealand, there's... Uh, teams that are full of girls or girl teams it's totally changed since I was a kid and how has the development of women's football made it more competitive across more countries when it gets also to the highest level 
Yeah, I think um, the development has increased the player pool and the depth that each country has. So at the highest level, there's um, more players to choose from. So in turn, that's just created a more quality football that is produced at that level. But we will see also at the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, what impact can the build-up of this great tournament and the playing of it have not only on football, but on all women's sport in New Zealand? Oh, the, the impact's going to be huge for both of those things. Um, for football, it'll be massive. I think the World Cup will inspire so many young girls and boys as well just to want to play the game across all sports. I think it'll be something that New Zealand's never seen before. It's the biggest game. It's the world game. And yeah, I think for New Zealand to get to see that and um, experience it, it'll just be amazing. And it'll totally inspire so many so many young girls and boys to want to play sport in general as well as football. And what have been the reactions already? Uh, I think there's been um, a lot more media coverage and just general interest from the public. So I think New Zealand was pretty excited and I'm pretty sure Australia is also excited. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You mentioned it and you have significant experience playing club football in Australia. What are the similarities and maybe the differences in your two footballing cultures? The similarities are that we're both very competitive and, you know, we have that across the ditch rivalry going. So, yeah, that's how we're pretty similar. Um, the differences are, you know, New Zealand's a really small country. I think we're maybe less than a quarter of the population that Australia has. So naturally, Australia has a much bigger player pool and a lot more funding than, than we have. You've married a football player from Australia, uh, Tamika. You have a child together. What are your ambitions now in women's football? Um, yeah, well, I guess they're slightly different because I'm I'm now retired and yeah, and I'm playing mum, so <laughs> I'm raising <laughs> our little girl. And um, Tamika still has her dreams and that she wants to achieve in football, so she'll be focusing on that 2023 World Cup, and we will be there supporting her as well as you know my old teammates for New Zealand, of course. So. Yeah, I mean, it'll be awesome. And it's so cool to get to see her flourish on the international stage and play in a World Cup in her own country and in my own country. So I just can't wait. So it's going to be kind of family affairs. Yeah, it's going to be a big family <laughs> affair. <laughs> Kirsty, thank you very much for being with us and all the best for you. Thank you. Yeah, the former New Zealand uh, midfielder, well, the New Zealand legend, I should say, Kirsty Yallop, speaking with Living Football's Jessica Liberts there. Um, Caroline Dreeder, this uh, 2023 tournament, the FIFA Women's World Cup, will be the first to be co-hosted, actually, by two countries from different confederations, so Australia and New Zealand. I suppose the women's game in Germany has always been, not always, but it's been a further ahead, I would say, than, than others in, in Europe, for example, for, for, than England. Yeah, I mean, uh, women's football in Germany was very, uh, yeah, common for a long time, and uh, you know, she said it. It's uh, it's uh, inspires young girls uh, to to get the game, and uh, it's very important that uh, the German national uh, team is uh, doing well in in this tournament. So all these young girls, they're, they're coming up, they have some idols there. So the progress was uh, huge. Now I think from uh, when it started the uh, women's game, and you see today, all the skills are much much better. So uh, I think it made an, uh, a great uh, result over the years now. Yeah, as we saw, the FIFA Women's World Cup in France in 2019 was massive in terms of the Absolutely. scale globally and the number of people that watched it. What do you think that did for, yeah, I suppose the young people watching boys and girls, importantly, you know, for boys to see the normalization of women playing at the very highest level, just exciting yeah. football? 
I mean, I have on the summer camps in uh, in my hometown, and we had a lot of girls there. They're coming there, and they're, sometimes they're really better than the the boys in this age. So, as I said it before, it, it progressed a lot in the in the last twenty years, say it like this, and uh, it's it's nice to watch it. And uh, hopefully, this will be very successful in. New Zealand and uh, Australia, because it's uh, two beautiful countries that should be having a, a really big impact there. I'm booking my ticket to go, right. Guys, before you go, we are going to talk about your career highlights. You know, we really are. We left read out that list of all your achievements or just a few of them um, earlier on. So there's a lot to choose from. But if you, I'm going to start with this, if you could pick one moment as the highlight of your career, what would it be? <laughs> I mean, uh, I get this question a lot of times. Uh, and, <laughs> oh, sorry uh, for not being more original. <laughs> <laughs> no, because if you look in the titles, definitely the World Cup is the is the biggest. But I didn't play in the in the final, so it was quite uh, not the same as you feel it when you in the pitch, maybe on the on the Champions League title in 1997 with Borussia Dortmund. And if you score two goals, so you you have a different feeling than uh, if you're sitting on a bench. And uh, I would say this. Definitely was my uh, yeah biggest highlight in my career, winning the uh, Champions League title with Dortmund. Well, what an extraordinary career. You've not only lifted the UEFA Champions League trophy, but also a FIFA World Cup trophy as well. The whole uh, tournament was uh, beautiful because from the first day to the last day, I think the, the sun was out. For us, it was like an, a home game because uh, Germany was so close to Italy. We had a lot of fans over there. And uh, when they blow uh, the final whistle, nobody could uh, even imagine how you... I still have uh, goose... <laughs> how goosebumps. do you say? Goosebumps. Goosebumps. <laughs> when I think about it, yeah, it was really an uh, amazing feeling for all, uh, yeah, for all of us. Well, one of your most memorable matches for Germany was actually during the UEFA Euro 1992 semi-final against Sweden. You scored twice in that 3-2 victory and you eventually became the tournament's joint top scorer. Was that kind of where you felt that you were at the peak of your career, where you were like, this is me? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it was the time when I was playing for uh, Lazio Rome in Italy and uh, I was growing up there from after the World Cup. So this was maybe my best time in, in, in football. And I really enjoyed this tournament. At the end of the day, it has always a, a bad reminding because we we got kicked out in the in the final from from Denmark. So I blow it out of my mind because <laughs> we've been only second in, and and we should win this game. But Denmark uh, did so well in in these games. But uh, yeah, for me, it was maybe the best time in my career. Yeah, and then you obviously played in England for Liverpool and Fulham as well. How did you enjoy that experience? How different was it to your previous uh, ones? Fantastic. I mean, four years with Borussia Dortmund, we won, we won a lot. And uh, when I got the offer from uh, Liverpool, this was a dream. Like when I was a child, I always followed Liverpool. This was my absolutely dream uh, team in uh, in England. So uh, it was an, a great honor. Unfortunately, it was uh, already over the top. I was already 32 or 33 mm. when I signed for them. But at the end of the day, I enjoyed it so much. It was a completely different experience. Because when when I signed uh, for, for Liverpool, I remember everybody was oh, you're going to England and this will be... Uh, and our best friends, they're all coming from England now. So uh, I really like uh, to be part of this uh, Liverpool. And actually the, the experience with uh, Fulham was also very, very nice. Yeah. Do you still keep an eye on, on English football? Do you still watch? Yeah, yeah I I watch uh, Liverpool more than everything. So uh, with Jurgen Klopp, when he signed for them, this was another fantastic move. I think they the, did the right job to uh, to hire him. And uh, now in, in a couple of years, they really did very well. 
Well, speaking of uh, Klopp's former club and your former club as well as a player, you're now an ambassador at Borussia Dortmund. Um, tell me about your day to day, because obviously I've, I feel that your your work will have been very impacted, as everything has, by by the pandemic. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I'm doing it for five years now and uh, I travel a lot, mainly in Asia and America. So uh, Borussia Dortmund is doing a lot of stuff over there. But in the moment, it's all on hold. It's the same for everybody. We do Zoom events. We try to to keep in touch with our clients over there, with our sponsors when we have big games. So we do like an uh, interacting uh, thing on the on Zoom. In the moment, we can't do everything. Hopefully, we we cannot wait uh, to travel to go to the fans because it's completely something different to sit in in front of a computer or mm. you have uh, fans live where you can touch them. So hopefully, this comes back as soon as possible. Yeah, we really hope so. Look, I've um, been to the Signal Iduna Park. I really enjoy, I've always enjoyed actually watching Borussia Dortmund. There is something special about that stadium. I mean, you have such a unique relationship as well with the club. Tell me why you think it's so special. I mean, the stadium, if, you, if you've been once in, in, in the stadium, you, you get affected about the, the atmosphere. It's uh, I mean, 25,000 uh, <laughs> in the city tribune. It's like a wall in front of you. The, the fans are so passionate. It's, it's uh, similar to, to Liverpool. You know, for them, it's religion. They 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 die for uh, for their for their own club. So it's uh, really a very very close relationship between players and uh, and the team. How special was it for you to to win the UEFA Champions League with them? It was. I said it before. It was the the biggest thing. What what we could uh, achieve. We won the title twice before, and uh, this was already huge because Dortmund long time they didn't win anything. So, uh, but this Champions League win, everything was exploding in 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 Dortmund, and this uh, yeah, it will be difficult to achieve. But hopefully, this young team. Now we have a really young team. They have to progress a little bit, but uh, they have so many uh, yeah, talent in this team. So it's nice to watch them now. Mm, let's talk about one of those special talents. Look, he's one of the world's brightest prospects. Everyone's talking about the striker Erling Haaland. Uh, you get to see him close up. How good is he? He is massive. I, I said it a couple of days before. I, I never see something like this in this age with 19. I mean, he has such an incredible acceleration. He's powerful. Maybe you have two, three points, maybe not weak points, but his uh, heading could be uh, better for his height. Maybe his technical uh, ability, he can uh, progress a little bit. But the rest, you know, he's so clinical in front of the goal. He never thinks he's always positive. Without him in the moment, Dortmund will be really struggling. He scores like he, he wants. And no, I think he will be one, one day he will be maybe not on the same level like Messi, but he will be definitely one of the best strikers in the world. Maybe he's already. Yeah, it's like a. It sort of reminds me of Cristiano Ronaldo in the sense that, of course, he had raw talent, yeah, exactly. but he had to work mm-hmm. to get to that next level as well. So perhaps it's the same with him. And a lot of people have been talking, actually, watching particularly this season's uh, UEFA Champions League, that maybe it's time for that generation to move on. Messi and Ronaldo maybe making way now for the likes of Mbappe, Kylian Mbappe, and and Haaland as well. Do you think that that's true now? Yeah, that's an, uh, in the moment it looks like because th- these two guys are already over 30 and uh, they dominated uh, the whole team worldwide for the last 12 years. So it's it's time to uh, to find uh, the new stars for the future. And Haaland could be definitely one of them. And even Mappé is uh, he's doing an incredible job and he's a very talented player. And who were your sort of sporting idols growing up? Oh, I was always uh, admire Diego Maradona. I I liked him personally, like uh, more than everything, like a football player. But uh, yeah, 
Maradona was my absolutely idol. Did you model yourself on him? Did you watch all his no, goals? I suppose it was different then. Did you could you see all his goals back then? You didn't have YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can watch it there. But his skills and and uh, how he uh, played football, I had the the pleasure to play a, a couple of times against him. I, I uh, he he was changing the shirt with myself, and uh, when I played for uh, Lazio Rome, and he played for Napoli, and uh, we had great games against them with Werder Bremen on my time, and uh, against Napoli in the UEFA Cup. So now, I mean, he was incredible. Could you ever see yourself managing a football club in the future? I was not really, and I, I tried it in uh, in Fulham for uh, like an interim coach. Yes, of and, course, uh, yeah. I didn't enjoy it too much. So, <laughs> so I said, no, maybe uh, I, I try to, to find a different solution after the football. And just finally, on the German national team, I mean, obviously the last FIFA World Cup didn't work out the way they wanted. We've got the uh, UEFA Euros coming up as well, and the managers leaving after that, Joachim Love. What prospects do you think we can expect from, from the German national side? Because there is so much talent still, isn't there? Yes, a lot of talent there and uh, we really had a bad time in, in the last World Cup and so I, I would say uh, it's time that they play better in the international team because, you know, the football nation, uh, Germany, they expect titles and they expect at least uh, to go in a, a semi-finals. So it's uh, the last tournament of Jogi Löw. I mean, he did so many good things for the German uh, national team for the last 10, 15 years in, in Germany. And uh, now we have a transformation for younger players. They are coming up now and, and they are in a really good uh, age time. So I would say... Uh, they can do very well, but uh, yeah, let's see. That's not an easy uh, tournament this time for for Joachim Löw because at the end, if you know you you're leaving, hopefully every player uh, accept this and and give the best. I'm sure the players can come to you for advice, especially penalty shootout advice. Yeah. I still can't believe you had no idea that you or that you'd never taken a penalty before in a live environment but uh, they can come to you if they want to develop nerves of steel maybe for advice I'm sure you're always there on hand <laughs> definitely <laughs> well you know what that's okay. all we've got time for this week thank you so much to my guest the FIFA and Germany legend Karl-Heinz Riedler great speaking to you Karl-Heinz I hope you've enjoyed talking to us as yeah, well it was very nice to talk to you and uh, all the best and uh, hopefully we see each other soon hopefully soon thank you very much well, we hope you enjoyed the show as well. Please subscribe to us via your favourite podcast provider and make sure you join us next week when we'll be hearing from Arsene Wenger and Pierluigi Colina. Do remember to head to FIFA.com to watch the Living Football TV show and for comprehensive coverage of all of FIFA's tournaments and initiatives. And if football and music are your thing, make sure you subscribe to the FIFA Play On podcast hosted by One Direction's Liam Payne. But until next time from myself and from Karl Heinz, it's goodbye. Goodbye.